This evening, we're going to be looking at this topic of suffering through the holidays. And no, not just because Cousin Eddie is coming over, but when Christmas doesn't seem so merry, or when the holidays don't seem so happy. Henry understood sorrow. He had personally experienced times of great distress in his life, particularly beginning in January of 1861. Henry witnessed the descent of his country into a civil war. On February 22nd of that year, he observed that the tolling of the bells foreshadowed the growing unrest and absence of peace. Later that year, on Washington's birthday, he recorded in his journal, heard the bells ringing at sunrise through the crimson eastern sky. They had a sad sound, reminding me of the wretched treason in the land. And again in April, when the South began to launch their attack on Fort Sumter, But it struck home as well that year on July 9th, 1861, a particularly warm day. Henry, like all good men, was trying to avoid the heat by taking a nap. His wife, on the other hand, Fanny, was trying to help the girls avoid the heat by giving them a trimming and decided, as some mothers are often to do, that she was going to save a couple of locks of their golden hair for posterity. And as she was sealing the locks into parchment using a wax dripping from the candle, some of that flame dripped from the candle onto her summer dress, and it immediately caught fire. Henry was awoken by the shrieking of his wife and daughters. Despite his best efforts to extinguish the flame, the next morning Fanny slipped into a coma and died. Three days later, on July 12th, would have been their anniversary, she was buried. Although Henry himself was not able to attend as he was fighting for his own life with burns on his hand and his face. This was Henry's second wife to have died unexpectedly. His first wife, Mary, died on November 29, 1835, just one month after suffering a miscarriage. On Christmas Day, 1861, Henry wrote in his journal, How inexpressibly sad are all holidays. But the dear little girls had their Christmas tree last night, and an unseen present blessed the scene. A year later, on Christmas 1862, Henry remarked again at his own sadness, juxtaposed to his daughter's wellness. A Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. Last night, the little girls had a pretty Christmas tree. In March of 1863, Henry's oldest son, Charles, ran away from home to join the Union forces. 
On November 27, 1863, while fighting in the Battle of New Hope Church, Virginia, he was wounded with a southern musket ball, missing his spine by only an inch. That Christmas, Henry spent nursing his son back to health. Charles would mend and survive, but on May 19, 1864, Henry suffered yet another profound loss. A former classmate of his, fellow writer and lifelong friend Nathaniel Hawthorne, died of abdominal illness. Henry's friends remarked during this three-year period that they were certain his despair would drive him to the asylum. Since the dawn of war and the death of his wife and the death of his longtime friend, Christmas was a bittersweet experience for Henry. And yet on Christmas Day, 1864, Henry penned the words to the song that we just sang. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought is how the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the houses born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolve from night to day. A voice, a chime, the chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I apologize, that's just the introduction. <laughs> Suffering through the holidays. We live in a broken world. We live in a world full of tragedy, full of suffering, full of sorrow. During these, these times, most people tend to fall into one or two groups. The first group that people tend to fall into when the suffering hits home is they become angry. They grow angry with God for letting these circumstances occur. Why would a loving God allow this to happen? Why would a God who is sovereign and omnipotent allow this to happen? And this anger can lead and will lead to a life lived in a self-made prison of despair and bitterness. The other camp we tend to fall into is that of denial. Others seem to think that godliness, 
requires a form of stoicism. Because if I am honest about how I'm feeling, if I am honest about the suffering that I'm going through, then I cannot be content in these circumstances. And we tend to put contentment and the circumstances we're in, they have to be the same. And if we're honest about not being content, we must be living in sin. If I'm honest about how I'm feeling, then that must mean I am not trusting God. And going to this denial leads to bottling those emotions up and will eventually lead to hidden anger or bitterness towards God and you end up in that same prison as those who just let the anger out. But the Scriptures offer us another alternative. And that alternative is lament. Biblical lament is an honest cry to a God who is powerful, good, and just. It is a cry that the situation that we find ourselves in is not in alignment with God's person or purposes. A cry that expects an answer from God. And a cry that results in hope, trust, and joy rather than despair. It was Longfellow's trust in God that brought about that beautiful conclusion to that song. When all seemed despair, those bells pealed more loud and deep, reminding that circumstances don't dictate who God is. Okay, Pastor, that's just a song we sing once a year at Christmas time. If we look at the Psalms, the Songbook of Israel, 150 songs written by David, Moses, Asaph, and others. Songs that were written for Israel to sing in worship. And we have this book of 150 psalms and one-third of them. Fifty of these psalms are lament. The psalmist is going through a sorrowing. The psalmist is going through a suffering, causing him to cry out from the very recesses of his soul, God, where are you? A couple of weekends ago, a church that we worked at for several years had four funerals on the same day. There's going to be some suffering at that church this holiday season. I found out this past week that a second person that I had gone to college with, so a young person, had passed away unexpectedly. Both of these young men passed away, leaving behind their wife and children. Most recently, they just found out that she was expecting another child. They're suffering. We can't choose when it happens. We look around the room here and we see the places where our brothers and sisters in Christ would normally be sitting. And we see where family members, even in this church, have lost loved ones. We see people who have gone to the doctor and heard the news of an uncurable disease. 
God, that's not fair. God, what's going on? These laments, these psalms were supposed to be used in public worship. And when we come to public worship today, you you go through the songs in this hymnal. You know how many laments there are? Maybe the one that we just sang. Modern Christianity, we don't want to be honest with the suffering. But it's okay. And as we look in the Psalms this evening, we're going to be looking in Psalm chapter 3. This is the first of these 50 lament psalms. In Psalm chapter 3, we see the background is given. David is running for his life. David's son Absalom is coming after him. His son has stolen the hearts of the nation. While David was sitting on the throne, he has now overtaken Jerusalem. David and those few loyal to him are running for their lives. A time of great suffering and sorrow in his life. And in this psalm, as well as the other 49 that we're not going to look at all of them tonight, But there are four aspects of the lament psalms that we see this evening that I'd just like for us to consider. We're not necessarily going to go through the psalm chronologically, but more so just focusing on these four aspects. And the first aspect is when we see a lament, when we see someone who is in this period of suffering, in this distress, we see their first thought is they go to God. They address God as they come to Him in prayer. These laments teach us that as we sorrow and as we suffer, we don't just have to internally focus on ourselves and just try to get over it. But instead, it's a prayer, a conversation with God, recognizing the God to whom we pray. Recognizing that as we pray, we are praying to an omnipotent God. A God who can hear us. We are praying to a good and a merciful God. A God who is just. And a God who has granted us access to Himself and invites us into a personal relationship with Him. And at times in the Psalms, this address to God is brief, just a verse or a phrase in the Psalm. That address to God comes to a greater meaning when we realize who God is. We see David's address to God in verse 1. Lord, how are they increased that troubled me? God, things are getting worse. The whole nation is out to get me. The things that shouldn't be happening are happening. You know, David is up against someone who is wanting to end his life, someone who's wanting to end his throne. A very different thought than what David had when he had the opportunity to take Saul's life on a couple of occasions. 
And David is crying out to the one who can hear him, God, it seems to get worse. God, you are the one who placed me as the leader over your people. God, I am addressing you as the one who has made me this promise. And God, things don't seem to be going according to what you've said. In verse 4, the first part, I cried to the Lord with my voice. And in the Hebrew, this has the idea of a continual cry. It's not just that David one time, okay, God, my son's out to kill me, do something. But David is continually coming before the Lord. This is a habit. He keeps coming to God until God answers. God does not tire of hearing his children cry out to him. Sometimes as parents, we can tire of our children crying out to us. Dad, I'm hungry. 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 Be quiet, kid. You just ate. Dad, I'm hungry. Be quiet. And we can grow tiresome of our children, but God does not grow tiresome of us. David is calling out, God, I have cried to you in the past and you have answered, so I'm coming back to you again. He addresses God. The second aspect of the lament psalms that we see is there is a complaint. This lament honestly and specifically names a situation or a circumstance that is painful, that is wrong, that is unjust. A circumstance that does not align with God's character, therefore does not make sense within God's plan. And I think oftentimes we have the idea that if we are complaining, we are not being content. And when we look through these lament psalms and we see complaints, they may strike us as odd. The nerve of David speaking to God this way. But instead of seeing it from that light, these are times of deep sorrow in the psalmist's life. And we see the emotional nakedness of his soul coming out. The emotional tone of the complaint may vary in some laments that expresses sorrow, others remorse, some weariness, some anger, some doubt. One author puts it this way, lament is the language of a people who believe in God's sovereignty but live in a world with tragedy. It's not that because I'm saying, complaining to God about the situation, I don't trust him, but God, this situation doesn't seem to line up with who you are. And we see this in Psalm chapter 3, verse 1, the second part. God, there are many rising up against me. Verse 2, God, there are many that are saying of my soul, there's no help. God, I know that's not true. God, you are my rock. You are my fortress. I know I have help in you, but God, the circumstances don't seem to line up with what I know who you are. God, this situation is overwhelming. God, how long until you provide relief? God, this uprising of my son doesn't fit with the promises that you have made to me. 
And when we see this complaint from the psalmist, we see him coming humbly. A proud, demanding question comes from a heart that believes that God owes him something. That's not where David or the the other psalmists are coming from. It's not a, God, I've done these things for you. You owe me. Fix it. It's, God, show mercy to me. I deserve nothing but your wrath, but be merciful. Lament allows us to properly express our sorrow in an honest admittance that our tragedy does not line up with what we know about God. And may I just give a word of caution that when we see people who are truly lamenting, that we not be like the friends of Job. Job, you say that you don't deserve this, but God wouldn't punish you if you didn't. Job, you say you're perfect, but God wouldn't punish you if you hadn't done wrong. Job, fess up. And what do we see Job doing? I've done nothing. I'm innocent. What do we see the psalmist doing? God, many are rising up against me. This doesn't seem to fit. Praying the scriptures. Again, we have 50 of these lament psalms. It never hurts to pray the scriptures. I I, I don't feel right complaining to God. Okay, pray the psalms back to him. You look at psalms, many of these laments address the question, why? Psalm chapter 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? The idea that the psalmist there is crying out as loud as he can, and God's not there. A psalm that is prophetic as we see Christ himself on the cross saying those exact words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm chapter 44, verses 23 and 24. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Wherefore hidest thou thy face and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? God, where are you? Why does it seem like you're not answering? Why does it seem like you're sleeping? This goes against who we know you to be. Or in Psalm 88, Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? God, it doesn't seem to fit your character. Why? Why is this happening? Other complaints are connected to the question of how. Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? God, how long before something happens? How long is this sorrow going to last? How long is this suffering going to continue? Or Psalm 94, verse 3, Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? You know, that's a prayer that we could pray every day, unfortunately, about our nation. When it seems like those who are in power basically thumb their nose at God. God, how long will the wicked triumph? How long until you return again looking for that second coming, that second advent as we looked at this morning? But this complaint 
also requires an honesty. We recognize from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. When we go to the Lord in prayer, when we go to Christ in prayer, we can be honest with Him because He's done it. He's experienced sorrow. He's experienced suffering. Just look at Lazarus. And what does Christ do when he hears his friend has died? He weeps. Jesus knows the tragedies of life. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, verses 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When we first hear that news of the death of a loved one or of an uncurable disease or the loss of a job and we just go on our faces to God and we don't even know what to pray. The Spirit prays for us. The psalmist, as he complains in these laments, is not doing so out of a spirit of God you owe me but of humility and honesty. God, you know the situation. But it doesn't stop there. I think oftentimes the fact that we don't feel comfortable using complaints and prayers and laments together is because oftentimes that's where it stops is with the complaining. But with the lament, that's not where it stops. The third aspect of a lament is the request. Specifically calling upon God to act in a manner that fits His character. Calling on God to act in a manner that resolves the complaint. Boldly asking God for help based on who He is and what He has promised eclipses the complaint, as one author puts it. When you have a solar eclipse... And the shadow of the earth, I'm going to get this wrong, the shadow of the moon passes between the earth and the sun. Now just because the moon's shadow is covering the sun, the sun isn't gone. And in the same way, we can have suffering and sorrow in this life, and it doesn't just disappear just because my prayer to God, my request is eclipsing in front of it. Instead, what we see is the focus of the individual changes. During that solar eclipse, yes, you can still see the sun. Don't stare at it, but you can still see it. But our focus has changed because there's something different. And the same is true when it comes to these lament psalms. The suffering is still there for the psalmist, but as he's giving his request to the one who can help, his focus shifts. We see this in verse 7. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. Thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. And in verse 7, those last parts is a future anticipation based on past action. God, you've done this for me in the past. 
You've rescued me out of situations like this. I'm trusting that you'll do it again. Verse 8, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. And what is the psalmist doing in this? Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Very simply, God help. God, do something. This suffering that I'm going through doesn't seem like it should be something that fits your character. God, it hurts. But God, would you do something? Would you resolve the situation? Can I get a message from the doctor saying that it's in remission? God, could I get a new job? God, do something. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. The request. And the fourth aspect of laments that we see is an expression of trust. A lament generally includes an explicit expression of trust, sometimes woven through the complaint and request. Sometimes it concludes the psalm with an almost jarring note of praise. And some expressions of trust are such a startling departure from the rest of the psalm, they seem to divide the psalm into two parts. But in order to get to this trust, we have to understand the journey of the sorrow that the psalmist is going through. It's a commitment to praising God. Lament psalms almost always contain a but or a however, marking an intentional shift from the cause of the lament to a trust in God. Lamenting trust is not just, okay, I know this is who God is, but it's I'm going to trust that God is who he says he is despite the circumstances in my life that are telling me otherwise. And we see this in Psalm 3. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. And when we examine this expression of trust that David has contrasted to the first, God, everyone is out to get me. The multitudes are rising up. I'm on the run. I am running for my life. But God, I'm going to choose to trust you. Despite the fact that my son wants me dead, I'm going to lay down and sleep because I know my life is in your hands. Despite the fact that the numbers are rising against me, God, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me. God, I am going to trust in you. And this sometimes as we go through sorrows is a ongoing, hourly trust. Because we don't know when those thoughts are going to go through our mind. We don't know when we're going to get hit with a reminder of the situation, the circumstance we find ourselves. But when those hit, do we put our trust in him? As we wrap things up this evening, let's, let's go ahead and get to the application aspects. If you're going through struggles and difficulties, first and foremost, it's okay to not be okay. Okay. 
It's okay to be struggling. Life happens. We live in a sin-cursed world. Disasters occur. And it's okay to be honest about that to God. And when we go through these times, as we've examined this evening, take it to God in prayer. Bring your complaints before Him. Bring your requests to Him. And continually affix your anchor to the rock in the storms of life. If you're not going through this struggle or difficulty, what does this mean to us? One has said that there are three types of people in this world. One who's going through a difficulty, another group that's coming out, and a third group that's about to enter. If you're not going through a difficulty right now, praise the Lord, take this sermon and put it in your back pocket. It's coming. But also, I would encourage you, be sympathetic to those who are going through difficulties. And more so than that, if you've been through that situation, be empathetic with them. Someone has lost a loved one. If you have, come alongside that brother or sister. Bring a lament to God on their behalf. Let them know that it's okay. You know, so too often we come to church and we have our Sunday best on and not just referring to how we dress. We ask somebody, how are you doing? And we expect the answer, I'm doing good. We don't want to be honest necessarily. Somebody asks us, we, we deep down know that they really don't want to know how we're really doing. But I would encourage you, if you are going through that difficulty, you know what? I'm going through this struggle right now. Could you pray with me? If you're not going through the struggle, how are you doing? No, honestly, how can I pray for you? How can during specifically this holiday season, I lift you up before the throne of God in prayer? But not just during the holidays. This is something that as believers we should be doing on a regular basis. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who is sovereign even in a world that is broken. And we look at times in our lives, times in the lives of those whom we love, where sorrow happens, where suffering happens, tragedy occurs. God, I pray first and foremost that you would encourage us through the psalm that we examined this evening, but the other 49 lament psalms as well as other portions of the scriptures that are laments, that when we go through these difficulties, may we address it to you, bringing our complaints, but not stopping there, bringing you our requests and expressing our trust in you. Father, we think of those even in this room who have experienced loss this year and are going through a first season of holidays without that loved one. God, would you bring a peace to them? Lord, maybe those who have gotten that negative report from a doctor, 
would you do a work in their life, Lord, if possible, to heal them of that, but to give them a peace, Father. For those of us who may not be currently going through suffering, God, may we be more sympathetic to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are. And may we always focus our trust on you. We ask these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.